As we continue today to, uh, to look at the character of Jesus, which is representative of the Father, the Godhead, the Father, who he was representing during his lifetime and obeying throughout his life, and then also the Holy Spirit who lives in us and trying to, our ultimate goal is to try and connect with who the Holy Spirit is in us. Because most of us, even though most of us in this room have been Christians for a long time, uh, percentage-wise, the percentage of your life, per capita years, because all of you are so young. Uh, I've been a Christian longer than most of you have been alive, so uh, percentage-wise, uh, even though most of us uh, have have kind of had this background of uh, or have had have been have had Christ in our lives for quite a, quite a number of years. We still don't know him. And just reminding us of what we're doing here on Sundays right now is we're just trying to connect with the character of Christ. You know, the, the, the sad announcement of Jesus to Philip and the disciples, Philip particularly, but the disciples as a whole, was that after three years of living with him and walking with him and seeing him and knowing him, I mean, just actually being with him all the time, they still, Jesus' Jesus' Jesus's sad announcement was, You've been with me so long, you still don't know me. And that is the case for us. Uh, It is the case for us. It's the way I have lived my life. I have known him for so long, but I've never really known him. I've been with him for a long time, a lot longer than you guys, most of you. But I still don't know him. I am discovering God. It's crazy that we can spend this much time in church, in Bible studies, in quiet time, and reading the Bible for ourselves, and listening to preachers and whatever else we listen to, podcasts now, and read, uh, you know, everybody's blogs about God, and still we don't know him. And I think we're beginning to understand how that's possible. We're beginning to see it. And so, I mean, I have really enjoyed, personally, this study. Thank you for letting me study the Bible, paying me to do that. And uh, giving a report on Sunday mornings of what I'm what I'm discovering because it's good stuff. And so we're going to keep doing that today. We're going to talk about how Jesus has a desire and how he impacts his character. How his how within the the the, uh, the operation of his character within the context of all the things we've already discovered about him, how he changes a community. Uh, yesterday, uh, we had a memorial service for Jeff Phillips. Some of you were there, a part of that. But, uh, wow, man, it was crazy to me that in a rainy day, how many people showed up uh, to give their respects, you know, to Jeff Phillips. Uh, what you probably don't know about Jeff is, is you know, there, there's a lot of what, – this is what I said yesterday at his, at his service – there's a lot of paradoxes in Jeff's life, and, and it all connected me. As soon as I started sharing that stuff, I thought, you know, this is what I'm preaching tomorrow. Isn't it crazy how God does stuff? But, but the same ideas here. That our community is different. The community of Alexandria and downtown particularly is different because of Jeff. Now, who is Jeff? Jeff was a nobody. Uh, Jeff was just an old country boy who, you know, ran sound for a band occasionally and worked odd jobs. And and then Jeff 
had it in his heart to, and to, and his passion had always been to, to have a coffee shop that, that not only provided coffee, but provided culture and a, and a good place where people could come and be themselves and people of every kind of walk of life could come in and, and do life. And then also he had a passion along with a few other guys to have something happen downtown. Uh, to, to let downtown Alexandria come back to life because as those of you who have been here for long enough, it just didn't have to be long, really just five years ago, six years ago, there was nothing but just a few scattered places. And, and Jeff paying the price day after day to try and make something happen for downtown. But it was weird because Jeff was a terrible businessman. <laughs> you know, it, people know it. Uh, he, he is the worst person to try and start a movement with. You know, I mean, if you're going to start something for businesses downtown, Jeff is not your guy. You know, when you go around looking for somebody to start a, to start a downtown, uh, you know, kind of revitalization, Jeff's name is not on that list, right? And those of you that know Jeff and work for Jeff can appreciate that. <laughs> uh, and yet, he had, he had something in his heart that he cared deeply enough about that it drove him to go to work every day and to be to be who he was to people and to to just love people and provide all that he could try to keep this business open and worked at it until a community was changed and then last night the whole community showed up a, a community of people from every walk of life uh, every every kind of race every kind of uh, belief and background uh, the people that were drawn into that coffee shop. It just blows my mind. Uh, artists of every kind, you know, musicians, uh, painters, uh, soap makers, you know, people who had their chance given to them by Jeff downtown to start something. Um, so, man, I've, I've just been thinking about that. And since last night and God making that connection with today, that is what changes communities. It's when somebody has a passion that's strong enough about something that they sell it by who they are, not just by, uh, by uh, effective marketing techniques or persuasion of some kind, you know, trying to figure out ways to, to talk people into doing something they don't want to do. It's not that. It's when somebody has a passion and they're honest about who they are and they, they take who they are and they pour it into something that they believe in and then what happens is naturally people gather around them that are drawn to what they have, right? Why did you guys go to Tampa Grinders? Because Jeff was passionate about something you were passionate about and it was more than coffee. That's what drew us there. And I spent, uh, there's no telling how many hours. I was changed by that opportunity to go and be in that type of setting. So what is that? That is God's way. It is God's way of, it is the way that Jesus changes communities too. And it's so much more than coffee. And it's so much more than community. And it's so much more than bringing a bunch of people from all different cultures together even. It's more than all of that. It is the one thing that will ultimately bring contentment and joy and peace to your life. And it's the one thing that we need to know in our hearts in such a way that we become passionate about it.
I'm not preaching today a sermon on outreach. Everybody with me say, oh, yeah. This is not a sermon on here's what you need to do to reach our community. I want to. That would be a really good sermon, right? And I can get passionate about it because I am passionate about it. But right now, here's where we are as a church. We need to know what we got. We need to know the kind of coffee that we're serving, right? We need to know the kind of community that we're offering. And it's so much, it is exactly what people need. Jesus knew that because he, he was always abiding in the Father. He never did anything that was not of the Father. The Father was in absolute control of his life. So he knew the Father, and he knew what the Father had to offer. And he was desperately trying to communicate that. And you see the desperation in this story today in, in the next passage in John where Jesus, tired, hungry, thirsty, weary, walks into a town and has an encounter with one person who received the passion of his heart, saw it, he offered her eternal life, and the whole town was changed. Man, I love this story. We're going to take it apart a little bit today, but just keep those thoughts in mind today as we think about it. I know a lot of you have been affected by Jeff's death and, and by uh, Jeff's life. And so as we remember that scenario what a great setting and a great thing to have on our minds this morning as we think about jesus and how jesus changes communities john chapter 4 is where we are we'll start with verse 4 and read through a lot of scripture today so i'm gonna ask you to make a commitment before we start will you commit to to hang in there and really try and get the scripture into your head if so say yeah okay all right because it's a lot of scripture and i know what we do when we read scripture sometimes we just go like all right, so this is it, man. Great story. We're really going to see a lot about Jesus' character today. And what we desperately need, not we so much in this room only, but we as a community need this message. I was so honored to be asked to speak at Jeff's service, knowing the kinds of people and the person that asked me to do it, who despises Christians and the and the church is... is he can't stand the church. And he's a great person, and I get it. But Jesus would have been invited to speak, and he was last night. It wasn't me. It was Jesus in me. He saw, said, they see something in us, and we need to allow this to be seen, and communities can be changed through it. So here's what happens. As he passed through Samaria, he came to the uh, through the to the town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field of Jacob, or that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. The woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living, living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, 
Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go tell your husband to come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are writing saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship uh, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, am he. Just then the disciples came back, and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away to, into the town and said to the people, come see a man who has told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower May, and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows and other reaps. I send you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed, three, he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. Told you, a lot of scripture. Great story. Can't leave any of it out. All right, so here we go. First of all, I'm going to start at the end. All right, we just read this passage, verse 27. Then he said to his disciples, uh, then his disciples came back, and they marveled that he was talking to a woman, but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? Verse 31, meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have no food to, I have food to eat, which you know nothing about. That whole scenario there. He's talking about the will of the Father, doing the will of the Father. Here's what I want to point out in this story. Here is the purpose of the story. Jesus makes it clear right here. And here's what we need to see about Christ. Jesus understood 
the joy of abiding. Jesus understood the joy of abiding. He understood all of the, the complete contentment and joy and peace and excitement and fulfillment in life and purpose and passion. All of the stuff that came from being obedient to the Father and, see, and coming to know the Father through his experiences. He knew all of that, and he knew it in a very, very deep way. And this is the way he, this is the depth of his knowledge of that. He had so much passion about abiding in the Father and knowing the Father and coming and joining the Father in his will and his way that it, it was more than any, any of his physical urges. He was tired. He was thirsty. He was hungry. We know that. And yet he joins the Father and doesn't even consider those things. He never does get a drink of water from the story. He never does get any food to eat from the story. He never does get to rest. He sits down and then begins to preach, right, or engage a person. He is so passionate. And and the reason why he's passionate is because he found something worth living for. Something that was much greater than any, uh, anything that the flesh could offer. Listen, I want you to understand this. If we're going to learn how to abide in Christ, which is what we say we want to do in this church, if we're going to learn how to walk with God, and we're going to do that from a heart that has passion for him, then we need to follow Jesus' example. We need to realize that there's one that lives inside of us that already knows the complete joy that waits for us if we'll ever do this, if we'll ever walk with, with him, with the Holy Spirit, allow the Holy Spirit to lead us, guide us. If we ever get passionate enough to seek the Holy Spirit, that's going to be the thing that ultimately is going to be our contentment and joy. And Jesus gives us a beautiful example here of that, that he's all about joining the Father and what he's doing. My my. My meat is to do the will of the Father. My drink is to do the will of the Father. My joy, my compassion, my contentment all comes from doing the will of the Father. Jesus was all about that, obedience to the Father. And look look at what he says here. Ultimately, it's not just obedience to the Father, but he says, not only does that satisfy me, but God's fruit of eternal life as he sees it in others is what brings joy and contentment. He's, look at what he says at the, end of this, uh, at the end of that phrase. He says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the wheels of, fields are white under the harvest. Here's what I'm confident happened in this scenario. The disciples came and said, you know, aren't you going to eat? And he said, my meat is to do the will of the Father. I mean, look, I'm all about doing the will of the Father. I have meat that you know nothing about. You guys say that, you know, we're going we're gonna, to, for what is it, four years and then the harvest, four months, four months and then the harvest. You're talking about food and four more months. We're going to have a bunch of food. I'm telling you, the harvest is already here and the laborers are already here. I, I have already planted seed and now the sower is out there getting more. Look up, look up. And I believe he actually pointed when he said this, look into the fields and look up and here comes the people from the town following this woman. Jesus planted a seed in the woman, and she went out and started bringing in the crop of what God did in her life. And she's coming with all these people from the town who are wanting to know about Christ. She went out and got people. That's fruit. And Jesus says, look, I have fruit you know nothing, food you know nothing about. And look, 
my laborer went out. You guys went to eat, by the way. And my laborer went out to get the food that's going to change a life, the food that's worth living for. They went out to get people, and those people are coming. to. to that's the fruit of God. When we abide in him, there's fruit that he does through us, and there's nothing in your life that will be more fulfilling than when you abide in Christ and you, you do what he says and then you come bringing people with you to God. You know what's going to be beautiful about this church one day? Is, and it is now. It keeps being more beautiful because more people keep coming in who are seeing God in you. But it's when a church is full of people who are passionate about God because their, their hunger has been changed. They're no longer hungering for things in the world. They're hungering for what they discovered about Christ and it started in you. That's, what, that's the ultimate fruit that Jesus is looking for. So when Jesus sits down in this town, when Jesus even goes into this town, he goes with one purpose in mind, and that's ultimately to see that town following this lady to come to him and ask more questions and invite him to stay two more days to get their questions answered to the point that they would believe in him because no longer because of her, but because of their own experiences with Jesus. Man, y'all getting this? I feel like you kind of dazed off on me right there <laughs> or dozed off. That's beautiful right there, that God will change us in such a way. And he does this. This is the way he changes communities. He's not changing the community by us talking, about, talking people into something we don't believe in. We're not talking people into coming to something we don't even do. We're not, we're not talking people into coming and starting a discipline that we're not even committed to. Can you see why we got to find God first before we can go out and invite other people to come? We're not committed to pursuing Christ yet. We haven't tasted enough to see how good he is to go out in the community and say, come see what we have discovered, who we have discovered. But Christ knows how to do that in us because he, he did that. He knows how to change the community. But we're trying to get ahead of, of where Christ was, and we think that just filling a church up with people is what our goal is. And we feel so good if the church gets full of people. I don't want a church full of people anymore. I think you don't either, right? We don't just want a church full of people. It's easy to get people to move from one church to another. That's simple. And it's even easy and to some degree to talk people into doing something if they, you make them feel guilty enough to talk them into doing something to relieve the guilt, to show up in a church to feel better about themselves. And then they're gone in about a month or two months or maybe it'll last a year. Or it's fun to try and be good enough people that people like to come and hang around with us. And you can fill a church with that. But it's no more than filling a church full of pizza and saying, hey, come get free pizza. You can get a crowd that way too. Does everybody get what I'm saying? Abiding in Christ is what, abiding in the Father is what Jesus did. And he is living in us and he wants us to get that. So I love that about Jesus. I love the fact that he understood the joy of abiding and it drove him to do everything he did. So what did it drive him to do? We learn more about the character of Jesus and the Father by looking at their interaction with this woman at the well. Jesus goes, first of all, into a place that nobody else will go. This passion has grabbed Jesus to such a degree that he goes into a place that nobody else will go. It says that he had to pass through Samaria. Now, we don't know why he had to pass through Samaria. It was a, it was a regular practice for the Jews to go around Samaria because Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans. 
When Jesus said, I have to go through Samaria, you know what he was saying? He was saying that my passion for the Father and for people of all kinds to know him is driving me to go to Samaria. In other words, this is, this is what we find about the character of Christ and his passion. His passion for the Father and what he has discovered about his Father through his own experiences leads him to go to places that nobody else will go. Some of you need to hear that. Now, this is, again, this is not an evangelistic message or, or an outreach message. This is not to try and convince you to go out to places you haven't ever been. Although, Christ does that. But I'm talking about some of you here think that God will not go and meet you where you are. And how many, how, every story that we've said so far is so clear that God is coming to you where you are. He will come to you where you are. If Christians won't, he will. You know, how many people in this room probably found God when you were at the end of yourself where no Christian would go? You were at a place where nobody, no, no believer, no church person would come to meet you. No religious person would come into the places where you were to find you. Nobody's going to come and get you in the dregs of sin. No Christian's going to be around you. Nobody's going to be with, with you when you're at the bottom. And how many people take their own lives because there's nobody there? They feel like nobody's there. When in fact, the God who created them is there, present. There is no limit to where Jesus will go. The Bible says that Jesus went to the pits of hell and conquered them. He's been there. There's no place where Jesus won't go. And if you think that you're in a place that Jesus will not come to you, he will. If you hadn't come here, he would have come to you. Matter of fact, probably the reason you're here is because he came to you in some form or fashion, through somebody else or whatever. You're here because of something that Jesus did. You don't just walk into church to hang out with people. And so Jesus will meet you where you are. Know that. He goes to Samaria where this woman is, where Jews don't go. He'll meet us where we are. Another thing that Jesus does that I love in this story is he reaches across the lines of severe prejudice. In a lot of different ways, he reaches beyond the walls or the lines of prejudice. Uh, the woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus tells her, give me a drink. And the woman says, the Samaritan woman says, how is it that you, a Jew, are asking for me a drink? This was weird. How is it that you, a Jew, are asking me a Samaritan for a drink? Samaritans were basically half Jews. During the Babylonian exile, a lot of the Jews uh, had mixed with the Babylonians. Uh, and, and they were it was a mixed race of people, so they were rejected because of their mixed race, and also they had a temple of their own at Mount uh, Gerizim, and they still worshipped there, even though Jerusalem was, was within uh, reach and had been restored. The, the temple of Jerusalem had been restored. So there was a severe prejudice between the Jews and the Samaritans for those two reasons. Severe prejudice that people would not even go through the town. And Jesus reaches beyond that prejudice. He reaches beyond the prejudice of, of not only was she, was it, was she Samaritan, uh, not only she worship in the wrong place, but he reaches beyond the prejudice of her being a woman and him being a man. And she says, how are you, a Jewish man, talking to me, a Samaritan woman? And the disciples were also blown away by this. So these were severe prejudices, even for Jesus' disciples who had been walking with him. 
What do I, what I want to say about that? I, I, want to, I want you to clearly understand this, that there is no prejudice with Jesus. <laughs> it's so funny. I've been in churches of all different kinds and colors and races. And, then, you know, if, I, if I'm in an African-American church, there's an African-American Jesus on the wall. Uh, you know, if they're in a white church, if there's a Jesus on the wall, there's a white Jesus on the wall. I've been to Hawaii, and there was a Hawaiian Jesus that we saw. You know, it doesn't matter who you are. You try to make Jesus like you. Why do we do that? It's because we think Jesus is not going to step beyond the lines of prejudice and reach out to us. And, and the fact is, we can make him like us in a lot of ways because he comes to us. It doesn't matter who we are. And that they communicate that message clearly, but... But, look, we don't need, Jesus doesn't have to be Caucasian-American to come to me with a little Irish background. He, he comes to me because it's who he is. He reaches across all the lines of severe prejudice. So whether it's race, the prejudice of race is thick for a lot of people in the South. It still, it still holds us here. Whether it's race, we, we know that Jesus reaches beyond race. So let there be no hesitation for you to go beyond the, the, uh, the boundaries of whatever uh, racial prejudice exists in this town to reach people because Christ is going with you there. We know that, that Jesus goes beyond the prejudice of religious background and denomination. doesn't matter what church you grew up in or what church you go to. Uh, and, and we have not done a good job as Christians and as Baptists of of, of erasing that prejudice. Instead, we build it up in a lot of ways in our denomination. And I say we, even though I know we're not really all that connected, but I, I read some things this last week that shows a great degree of prejudice across religious lines. And religious background is, it does not stop Jesus from going in and bringing life and bringing the passion of a relationship with his father and the passion that comes from abiding into any denomination or religion, he can make his way beyond those barriers. Jesus also looks goes way beyond the prejudice of education. You know, we tend to think in, in some some churches that you got to be at a certain educational level to be able to understand and be with us. You know, you're not going to fit. You're just too dumb. Thankfully, we got a lot of dumb people in our church. And then we got a Hebrew scholar up here on the front row. So, Second row. Why aren't you on the front row, man? Kobe took your place? Okay, New Testament on the front row. That's right. I love that. And, and, and we need to know that, that there's nobody that has to be at a certain education level to be here. You get it. Family background doesn't stop Jesus from reaching you. However your family was and whatever your family did growing up, Jesus reaches beyond that, and he can reach you where you are. He does in this woman's case. Uh, your past experiences of rejecting Christ, uh, you know, or maybe adamantly rejecting Christ, and you could, you could have been a Satanist and saying that God is stupid. It doesn't stop God from coming to you. Where you are, he will come to you. That is a beautiful characteristic of Christ. He reaches beyond all the lines of whatever prejudice you think that, that exists, that people of some, have there ever been any limits in your mind to where Jesus would go? Erase those. He reaches out across all of our prejudices and meets everyone, gives everyone the opportunity to come to him. Another thing I see about Jesus here is he meets us 
not only does he meet us where we are, but he offers us what we're looking for. He comes to us where we are, but he also offers us what we're looking for. Look at verses 10 through 15 again. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. The well is deep. Where will you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself and fed his sons and livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty. And to have to come to, to here to, to draw water. So Jesus takes this woman, meets her where she is, but then he takes her. He offers her what she's looking for. In her case, she's looking for water. And Jesus meets her where she is in this in the situation and says, okay, let's, here's water. You, we're, we're all about water today. We're going to take this, and I'm fixing to tell you about water that you know nothing about. You don't have to be smart enough to figure out God and salvation. You just have to, be, you just have to respond because he's going to come to you, and he will offer it to you in a way that you can understand. If you feel yourself drawn to Christ right now through this message, it's because God is reaching out to you to give you something you can understand. He didn't make it complicated for the lady. He met her where she was. He used water to talk to her about eternal life, but he didn't keep her there. He used that to offer her living water. And then ultimately she responded by saying, give me that. I want that. What you're talking about is what I want. And he offers her living water. Not only living water that would be a stagnant pool of water that sat inside of her uh, while she uh, you talked about water and talked about religious things, but a, a, a living spring of water that will well up in her to eternal life. That kind of living spring of water that constantly bubbles forth more water. You get the point that Jesus is making? In the same way that that water that bubbles up inside of him can't stop him from talking about that to this girl, he, this woman, he says, that kind of spring of water, that kind of spring of water that's, I'm, you, you, just, you just took a drink of a water that's going to well up in you in a way that you're going you're to give water to everybody else. There's going to be a fresh spring of water, and there's going to be so much that you're going to, everywhere you go, people are going to get wet, and they're going to enjoy drinking from this well. And that's exactly what happens. This woman goes into town and, and brings that water, that spring of water with her, and she can't help but speak of what she's heard. So Jesus meets us where we are, and he offers us what we're looking for. So I don't know what you're looking for today, but let me settle something for you, all right? Ready? Everybody still with me? Say, oh, yeah. I don't know what you're looking for today, but let me settle something for you. You don't know what you're looking for today. Settle that. I don't know what you want today. But guess what? You don't know what you want today. Until you have an encounter with Christ and he comes into you, meets you where you are, wherever you are, and he does that. He'll meet you where you are and, he'll, and he tells, shows you what he has to offer. You had not discovered what you want yet. And the reason why some of us are floundering around still in our faith is because we have not 
tasted the water that Christ has. We're still messed up, man. And he's met us where we are, and he's bringing us to that living water. And So stay in course. Don't give up on it. Hang around with Jesus. Keep asking. Keep listening. Listen to your heart. Move with him. But he's taking you to the living water. And the reason why some, some of us think, oh, oh, yeah, that's what I want. You know, we get a little taste of religion. Oh, yeah, that's what I want. We get a taste of knowledge. Yeah, that's what I want. We get a little taste of somebody pats us on the back because we did something spiritual. Yeah, that's what I want. I like that. And we've settled for all these things, and none of them are living water. Christ is the prize. Like we talked about last week, he's the trophy, and we get all the rest of it. We walk away from it. We accept him, and we walk with him, and he becomes in us a well of springing water. And so the question is, you know, as you evaluate your life, the question is, are you really, has he shown you that you want him? That's a good start. I'm not saying you got him all. I don't. But I love every little bit of water I get every day. You know, I want more water. And that's the effect that he has. So he meets her where she is. He reveals her. uh, uh, He meets her where she is and offers her what she's looking for. He reveals to her what she's looking for. Now, I love this point. Y'all ready? He also makes her worship true. He makes her worship true. What does he do? Uh, and I don't, I'm not going to read all this again because it's such a long passage. But she asks questions about, uh, you know, he tells her, first of all, that she has no husband. Tells her to go and get her husband. <laughs> so the first thing that happens to her to make her worship true, y'all, y'all ready? Uh, have you been struggling in this place on Sunday mornings wondering, maybe today you didn't even think about it. When we were singing worship songs to God, did any of that find it, find a place? Did any of that come from your heart? And it's okay if it didn't. I mean, don't lie about it. Be honest about it. it doesn't, if it didn't, it's good for you to be honest about it. This woman's worship was coming from someplace besides her heart. She was worshiping on a mountain, but she wasn't worshiping God. It was coming from something else. And she was comparing herself to the church in Jerusalem. You know, there was this comparison going on, and, and there was this fight going on between churches. We're all familiar with that, what that looks like. But her worship wasn't true. So what does he do? First thing, he identifies her sin. He goes right to her sin. Let's be honest. Let's get where you are. You want to, you, you, you're tired of your worship being bland on Sunday morning? You're tired of, your, of singing empty words? And having to look at, uh, at the screen to find the words and not even ever engaging your heart in that? You want a you true worship? Here it is. Start with this. Let God show you your idols, the things that are stopping you from sinning, the sin in your life, I mean, from worshiping, the sin in your life that's stopping you from worshiping. We, we have those. Even if you're in God's church, which this woman was, her worship wasn't true because she wasn't being honest about where she was. If there's one thing I hope you have found to be true at the gathering place is that this is a place where you can be who you are because it starts there and you need to be all the messed up you that you are when you walk in here and not hide that from anybody because we're not going to accept you or reject you based on who you are. Christ has at least done that in us, I think, corporately, that we accept everybody. But coming in here, just know this, that that you need to be honest about where you are and let Jesus tell you where you're messed up and don't argue with him about it. No, I'm pretty good. No, you're not. You're not good. 
You know, if you if you if you're trying before you come to Christ and receive Him, you, or, or even if you're a believer and you're still trying to be good enough, that's the very thing that's stopping your worship from being true. You are not good. He is good. You're not good. So quit trying to be good. The fruit that you're looking for will come when you stop trying. You let Him be good in you. That's a whole different ballgame. So that's the first thing He does. He reveals her sin. Show me your husbands. Well, uh, oops. You mean you know? Yes. And he knows yours. Every one of them, all the hidden things. That you think he doesn't see, he sees. It's okay. That's where you start. If you ever want your worship to be true, quit hiding your sin. The second thing he does is he frees her from her concerns about religion. She says, well, you know, church stuff. And he says, ah, uh-uh. Let me, let me just square this away for you. The time is coming when it's not going to matter what building you're in. Because God didn't create us to be tied up in a, what building we're worshiping in. You're going to worship God in spirit and in truth. The spirit's going to come and live inside of you, and you're going to worship when you're at work. You're going to worship in the weirdest places ever. You're going to worship in, in the place that nobody else would go, like Samaria. You're going to worship in the, when you're tired. You're going to worship when you're hungry. You're going to worship when you're thirsty. And what's going to happen is your worship's going to be so true that you're going you're, you're, you're gonna to want worship more than anything else. So he deals with her concerns about religion, where, where, where they're meeting. You say we're supposed to be in Jerusalem, we worship on the mountain. Forget about that. And then he does this. He reveals himself as the Messiah. Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah. She says, well, when the Messiah comes, he says, oh, guess what? I'm he. I am the Messiah. He reveals himself as the Messiah. And she knew it. She saw, she saw the miracle that she'd been looking for when he told her about her past. She got what she needed. He came to her where she was, brought her, told her how to have salvation. And she received that she, because he revealed himself as the Messiah. And Jesus offered her that opportunity. And he does that for us. We've said that already. I'll say it again. It's never going to get old. This is what we, what we worship for. This is what we're excited about is that Jesus not only finds us in our sin and knows everything about us, but he also, and not only does he take our religion, our concerns about religion away, is he offers us himself as our Messiah. He comes in and becomes for us the sacrifice that's necessary to remove our sins. He comes and gives us his righteousness his perfection, so that when God looks at us, he doesn't see us anymore. He sees perfection. He gives us that. So he offers himself and reveals himself as a Messiah. That right there should be, not should be, it will be. When we get those three things, that will be enough for our worship to be true. Some of us are tasting that. Most of us are. Some of us are enjoying that regularly. A lot of us are. All of us need to realize that when Jesus comes to us, he makes our worship true. He doesn't just meet us where we are and give us what we're looking for, but he makes our worship true. And then the last thing in this passage is Jesus changed the whole village by offering living water to one person. Thanks to Paul, Ellington, and Will Butterfield for posting uh, Secret Church this past week. Uh, Secret Church is something that David Platt does. Um, it's a great message. 
but I didn't really even get beyond the uh, much beyond the illustration at the beginning. This is what this is what he to- he he talked about. He said there was a there was a battleship that was created right around the Korean or before the Korean conflict. There's a battleship that was created that would carry twelve thousand troops at the highest speed of any ship that that our uh, military had would carry these 12,000 troops into battle and get them there fast. That was the whole purpose of it. It was designed for that. It was a tremendous fighting ship, a great battleship that would get these troops where they needed to go. And I think it was $80 million that it cost to build the ship at the time, which is just a whole lot more now. All right, so all this money spent for this battleship, it never got used. The battleship never got used. Instead, what happened is ultimately they took it and they fixed it so that it would be a luxury liner for higher military personnel to go and take luxury trips on. So never at high speed, low speed, kind of nice little luxury cruise is what it was. Literally, it wasn't to get them into battle. It was just for a little break for our military uh, generals and Corporals and captains, or so off they go. Swimming pool on board, big luxury suites for them to stay in. And I, and I heard that, and I thought, wow. I think that's us. I think that's us as the church. I hope it's not the gathering place, but I want to make sure it's not. There is a reason why. Jesus came and offered us eternal life. There's a reason why Jesus went and got you where you were. And all of you were in a mess. Some of you were in a mess of, of secular sin and, and junk. And some of you were in a mess of religious practices that were unfulfilling, didn't bring life to you. You were in all those places. And Jesus came to you and he gave you life. And he put you in the church, the real church. He, he made you a part of the body of Christ. And he has, he has a reason why he does that. It's so that we will take that passion, that heart that we have for him, and we'll not tell people about it, but live it in front of people in a way that they would even ask us about it and want to know more about it. What happens with this woman is she goes into town, she starts telling them about what she experienced, but there's so much passion coming out of her voice. There's so much light in her eyes. She's a different person than she ever was before. This is a woman that hid and went to the well at a time that nobody else would go to the well because people knew her reputation. Now she's out in front of everybody. She's a changed person, and it's obvious. She has this high-pro glow about her, (laughs) right? She's different, totally different. She's been radically transformed. She can't hide it. And when they start asking her questions, she doesn't have the answers. Uh, She just can tell them what she experienced. And that's enough to draw them to Jesus, to have their own encounter with him. And Jesus doesn't disappoint. He does for them what he did for her. He stays there two days and answers all their questions. And then all of them believe, not because of her anymore, but because they saw him and experienced them for for themselves. What better story can there be to describe what God wants to do in central Louisiana and Alexandria and Pineville through little churches like the gathering place? We are the woman at the well. Embrace that. Don't try to be the people that religious folks are impressed with. 
We are the woman at the well. We are screwed up. We have five husbands, and the one we're living with now is not our own. We are that woman, and we're not any better. We are worse, if anything. We are just like her, and embrace that. Sit at the well and ask Jesus, who comes to you, do something in my life that will transform in such a way that my life glows with a, with a passion for who you are. And, and let's not just sit in the luxury liner and enjoy each other. Let's go out there and let the, let the world see who he is and how good he is. And they will be drawn to him. And if, it, if they're not, it's not going to dull your passion in any way because your passion is not about filling a church full of people or finding results in any way. It's all about the God that we're going after. we got living water that's swelling up inside of us. And maybe some of us, well, all, we're, all we need to do today is to take, a, take the cap off the well. Clean, you know, take, you know, every now and then i got to take that screen off my faucet and clean it out in the kitchen. And when I put it on, man, it flows again because there's all kind of crud in there. Get the crud out and let that water flow completely in your life. Go after God. Abide in him like Jesus did. There's going to be a passion in you that will reach beyond all boundaries, touch every person. It's not going to matter. You're not going to ask any questions. Is this okay? Is it not okay? You're just going to be so passionate. You're going to bring this living water, this spring of living water into this community. You and I will do that, and people are going to see that we're different. There was a whole lot more people that were drawn to the community and the coffee shop downtown than there are that's drawn to the gathering place. It can only be one reason for that. Is that God needs to reach this community. And we need to be springs of living water. And we're not. It's not about how many people are going to show up in church. It's about how many lives are going to be transformed by the water that is already in, existing in you. That you are keeping under wraps that you are worried about for whatever reason you're not letting that water flow and fill you you're not encountering christ enough that we're being filled with him to overflowing don't feel guilty about it pursue god that's all you gotta do because jesus is the one that changes communities we are not we don't have the, the we don't have the key to changing communities we just have a god who knows how to do it and he lives inside of us how long will he be with us and we not understand this? How long will Jesus live inside of us and we still don't know him as the one that changes communities? And it's not by convincing people to do something they don't want to do. It's by meeting people where they are, giving them the truth of who God is based on your own knowledge and experience with a light in your eyes that draws them to him. Right? All right, let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are a community changer. That you have a desire to change this community, Lord. That that is still, Holy Spirit, the passion that you have is to bring life and living water to a dry place. This village that was rejected by all of those who carried the name of God in their day was offered living water through one person. And so, Father, I pray you will do in us what you did in her. 
we invite you right now, Holy Spirit, to come into the place where we are, knowing that there is no prejudice with you, that there's nothing that stops you other than our invitation. So we invite you to come and meet us where we are. Knowing that, God, we don't even know what we want today. The things that we think we want in life are so temporal. There's, there's, and temporary. There, there's nothing there for us. But you know what we want. And so, God, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come into our hearts and offer us what we're looking for. We want our worship to be true, but we know, God, that we have hidden sins from you. We've been more concerned about religion and doctrine than we have been about Jesus. And yet, you are the life-changing Messiah. And so today, we invite you to make our worship true. And Father, you taught us a lot through a coffee shop in downtown Alexandria. Father, I pray that that we will learn that lesson today about your kingdom. Your encounter with the woman at the well changed her from a woman of ill repute to a world changer in a second. And then she went into town and spoke of what she experienced. She didn't have seminary training. She didn't have a memorized plan of how she should share. She had the story of Jesus, who he was, and what he did for her. And that was enough to get a village asking questions that you were faithful to answer. Lord, give us that strategy. Let us bless people. Let us bless them not because it's, a, it's an acrostic that we can memorize and understand, but because, God, we have a story to tell. And we've been transformed and we've been filled. And we have a spring of living water in us welling up to eternal life. Lord, what we know about you has affected us in such a way that that we are growing to to want to know you more. But God, let it be enough that we can't help but show it and speak of it. Let our lives cause people to ask questions about you. Create a community here of water, spiritual water. Lord, we pray for every church to be refreshed for all sins and to be set aside and religion to be put aside and for people to know you. This town needs people who are passionate about the God that we serve. But let it begin here. Let it begin now as we pray this week, as we speak, as we talk about this in life groups. Let this be a week for us, God, when we work with you and join you, God, to create this community that you passionately desire. Let your passion be ours. We pray in Jesus' name.